morning, everybody. It's good to see you this morning. Uh, my body pops a lot when I get out of bed anymore. Uh, it's a funny way to start. I know, but it's true, like, my feet pop, my knees pop this morning, like, my shoulder has this weird thing. It pops all the time. Uh, my kids don't realize this. They come in my room and kick down the door and act like we ought to just jump out of bed and eat candy and run around the living room first thing in the morning. But I don't move that fast anymore, maybe once upon a time. Uh, I've got little gray patches of whiskers my wife kindly pointed out yesterday that are migrating and spreading. Uh, I've got gray hairs that are starting to poke through. Uh, you know, it's just, it's part of getting older. And anytime I share something like that or talk about that, somebody who is older than me kind of laughs in a you ain't seen nothing yet sort of a way. And that usually leads to some sort of ailment they experience because of their age. And then the whole conversation oftentimes ends with somebody saying, well, getting old's just no fun. And that's why I always say, I'm just not going to do it, which we all know just isn't going to happen. And that's just part of it, you know, getting older isn't always fun. Not because there's anything wrong with age, but because our bodies, well, they tend to break down and slow down, and there's a toll that gets taken on them. At a previous ministry, uh, I used to go visit a man in a nursing home once a month named George. Uh, and George was in his late 80s, had a whole slew of health problems. Uh, but the longer I knew George, the longer I came to understand why he was always frustrated. Uh, George's hearing was very, very poor. He had hearing aids and even cranked up all the way. I still had to kind of get in his ear and speak loudly for him to hear me. And oftentimes I would just give up and write something on a notepad and he would read it. And that worked for a while, uh, but George's eyes, he had macular degeneration that set in. And so he really couldn't read even very large, bold font after a while. And so George couldn't hear a whole lot. He couldn't see a whole lot. He had neuropathy in his, his fingers and in his legs. And so walking was kind of precarious and dangerous for him. Oftentimes he was confined to a bed or to a chair. And so most of his days were spent sitting, not hearing much, not seeing much, not interacting with much, just, just sitting frustrated because he was trapped in his own body. And I came to understand why George was grumpy and why oftentimes in our conversations he just would say, I'd wish I would just die. I kind of pitied George because getting older isn't any fun. Again, not because of age, but because of our bodies and the fragility that our bodies possess. That's the topic of conversation that we have before us this morning as we continue the series called Champions. Believe it or not, despite that very chipper introduction, we are actually talking about one of the most encouraging passages in the New Testament. It's Romans chapter 8. It's maybe the highlight of the New Testament where all of our hope and all of the promise and encouragement that the gospel offers us comes into very sharp focus and celebration. And it all revolves around the conclusion of Romans chapter 8, which Colin's going to share with us a little later in communion time. It talks about no matter what mess we may come across in this world, we are more than conquerors. We are champions because of him who loves us. God's love will see us through. That's our hope and our confidence, and we believe that. And on the one hand, we cling to that. But on the other hand, we still have to deal with all of the mess of this life and our fragility. And sometimes there's a tension between what we believe and what we experience. In this series, our aim is to try to navigate that tension and to understand how are we still more than conquerors through the gospel? What is our hope, and how does that lead us through the mess that we inevitably are going to experience in life? And today we're talking specifically about the challenge of our bodies and their frailty. 
If you have your, your bodies, of course you have your bodies with you. If you have your Bibles with you, why don't you open those up to Romans chapter 8. We're going to start in verse 22 this morning. Verse 22. If you don't have your Bible, we have the passage. It'll be on the screen behind us, or you can download the FCC Mammoth app to your mobile device. Tap the Sunday button in the bottom right-hand corner, and you'll find our sermon notes complete with our passage pulled up, ready for you to engage with and get the most out of our time together. So, like we said, our bodies deteriorate. There's a fragility, a vulnerability that we all experience in our flesh. And this vulnerability can be frustrating at times. In fact, the weakness of our bodies is a source of a multifaceted frustration. And it's important to understand that multifaceted aspect, because obviously there is the physical aspect and the deterioration that happens here, but it actually is a lot deeper than that. And our passage helps us to meditate on that and understand the full extent of our frailty. We look at verse 22. It starts like this. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. If you weren't with us last week, we're going to recap very quickly so that we can understand verse 22. It helps us understand a lot more clearly what we're going to talk about today. What we read last week in Romans 8, and it summarizes verse 22, is that all of creation, meaning land, sea, sky, plants, animals, you, me, everything that exists, we are currently bound up in this state of frustration, in bondage to decay. There's a corruption that just sort of lingers over everything God made, and it is called the power of sin. And that power of sin causes a mess in the natural world. It causes a mess in our relationships. It causes a mess in you and me. We're all stuck in this frustrating state. The language used in verse 22 is right on point. It says, all creation groans as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present moment. Childbirth being a very excruciating kind of pain that is the, uh, preceding this incredible joy that just sort of bursts onto the scene. And that's what our hope is, that incredible joy. And it's what the Bible calls redemption, renewal, God's big plan coming to its completion when he makes all things new, including creation itself, and lifts that curse of sin from creation and liberates it from its bondage to decay, and, and all things are restored. That's what we talked about last week. What we just read in verse 23 is that creation is not the only thing groaning in frustration. You and I groan right alongside it. We ourselves groan as we are awaiting something special from God. We're awaiting our adoption to sonship, which is a very rich term that takes several different locations in the Bible and some historical study to fully grasp and, and appreciate. So our passage does us a huge favor and just gets to the chase, the redemption of our bodies. Our bodies are cursed by sin. Our flesh is weak because of the power of sin that lingers over all of God's created world. We groan right alongside of creation because the mess is experienced very intimately. Like we said, it's a multifaceted frustration. Our physical form is vulnerable. It's vulnerable to injury. It's vulnerable to invasion from viruses or bacteria. We had a whole year that we lost because of that, remember? But maybe the corruption of sin and this aspect of it is most fully appreciated when we look at a slightly different kind of vulnerability. Uh, ALS is a disease in which the neurons uh, that control voluntary motor function deteriorate uh, until you lose those voluntary motor functions. 
And for a lot of people, symptoms begin with just sort of a weakening of the extremities. Uh, eventually, you lose the ability to move those limbs. For my grandmother, it started with her voice. Uh, she had a really hard time speaking and having any volume whatsoever. So after going to some allergy specialists, they determined didn't have anything to do with that. She had Lou Gehrig's disease, uh, ALS. And shortly after that diagnosis, she completely lost her ability to speak. My grandmother was an incredibly positive person. She was a lot of fun, and so she had this little keyboard computer contraption that she would type on. Uh, well, type on, not type. But she would peck out what she wanted to say, and in a very robotic, almost like Mr. Spell, if you remember that toy kind of a voice, it would say what she had typed in. She called it her sexy voice. Uh, she claimed Grandpa liked it more than her actual voice. Uh, she was a lot of fun. But eventually, that stopped too, uh, as she lost the ability to control her fingers and her arms. She lost the ability to walk. Uh, she could give your hand a little squeeze every once in a while to let you know she was there, but eventually that faded too. And Grandma was still sharp, still had her faculties, but she was just trapped. She was a prisoner in her own body. She couldn't move. She couldn't go anywhere. She couldn't say anything, couldn't interact. And eventually, the muscles that control breathing and respiration, they gave way, and, and she died. It's a really cruel disease. And you ask, okay, what, what causes this? How does this develop? It's not because of any exposure to any outside agents. It's not because of a virus or a bacteria. Leading research suggests that the leading contributors are heredity and genetics, meaning that baked into our very genome is a corruption that causes our bodies to turn against themselves. That's messed up. That's a frustrating thing to experience and to imagine that the power of sin is so pervasive in our lives and our flesh that our own bodies would betray us. But maybe that frustration isn't experienced in a, in a, a loss of movement. Maybe, maybe your neurons simply make it difficult to be happy. And maybe you suffer from depression. Or maybe you're not, your neurons, they're wired in such a way that you have a hard time finding peace. And you're on edge quite a bit. You suffer from anxiety. Maybe somebody you know, the neurons, it's not so much a matter of joy or peace, but memory. And the neurons are deteriorating in such a way that it's difficult to remember even some of the most important people in your life. Or maybe it's wired in such a way that it's hard to distinguish between what is memory and what is present reality. A lot of mental health issues, whether it be depression, anxiety, Alzheimer's, dementia, and a slew of others, it's all physical in nature. It's all part of our body, and it develops because of the same fragility and the same vulnerability and the same pervasive corruption that is at work in our flesh because of the power of sin. And I want to make clear here, I'm not saying that health issues and mental health are the result of a sin, like we did something wrong and it's some sort of divine retribution. What I'm suggesting and what I think Romans 8 is reminding us is that the same corruptive power that is at work in God's creation out there making a mess as at work in God's creation right here making a mess. And that there is a frustration and a groaning we experience because of this power of sin. And the fragility of our bodies is a frustrating reminder of that power and its presence. In fact, as believers, I think you and I maybe experience this frustration in a unique way that non-believing people don't. 
that's the impression I get when I look at verse 23. And this phrase, it says, we who are the first fruits of the Spirit. And that's a very rich phrase. We're going to unpack it a little more fully in a minute. But I want to draw attention to that first fruits part so we can understand kind of why this phrase is so important other than it identifies, hey, we as believers, we experience this. So that idea of first fruits, it's not a great illustration, but I want you to think of like going out to dinner with some friends or family and you order an appetizer. Maybe it's mozzarella sticks, maybe it's breaded mushrooms, maybe you're healthier than me and you order like side salads. I don't know. But you order some appetizers. And they come out and you eat the appetizers and, and in that moment, I hope we don't expect to be filled up and satisfied by those appetizers. Like, I hope if we ever go out to dinner, you and I, it's not like we order some chips and salsa and like, okay, I hope everybody's stuffed afterwards because I, I can't do that. I'm going to be a very grumpy guest, just to be honest with you, because that's not the purpose of an appetizer, is it? It's not supposed to be the main course. It's just something that's supposed to tide us over until the real meal gets here. It's a foretaste. It's sort of that first fruits idea. That's the idea here in this first fruits of the Spirit. It's a phrase that reminds us as believers in Jesus, God's Spirit is at work within us. When we said yes to Christ, we had our sins erased. We were given this opportunity of everlasting life. And even more amazingly, God's Spirit took up residence within us and started renewing us inwardly. It started with our minds, right? We had like an eight-week series, just this last sermon series about the renewal of our minds. The Holy Spirit renews our hearts, renews our relationships and our conduct so that we begin to look like Jesus in our inward person. But that's not the full scope of God's work of redemption. That's not the whole meal, right? That's the appetizer. That's the foretaste. That's what comes before the actual meal. And it's great and it's glorious and it's something to be enjoyed, but it also heightens the frustration that we experience and the work of sin in our flesh because there's oftentimes a frustration and a tension between our inward person and our outward person, right? I'm not always the person I wish I was or think I ought to be or hope to be or aspire to be. Maybe I want to be a very gracious a merciful person in my inward being, but my tongue didn't get the memo. You been there? And we lash out maybe because our ego was wounded or because we want to be right or something. Or maybe I want to be a servant-minded person or I want to be a, a, a sacrificial person and I want to help other people, but my arms and my legs, my limbs, they're not always on board. They're not always on the same page. Yesterday was a good example um, it wasn't really my arm's fault. We had this food drive uh, that the radio station uh, partnered with our church. They did a wonderful job, and I was supposed to show up at 4 p.m. to help load up the food and bring it back to the church, and I just totally forgot. <laughs> it just wasn't even on my mind. I had all the best intentions in my inward being, but my body, my mind specifically, it's just not really on the same page all the time. Or maybe I want to be a generous person. I want to be a giving person, right? I want to be kind and, and, and give to other people. But my eyes, sometimes my eyes aren't always on board with that plan and they want to possess and they want to covet. Our bodies oftentimes rebel against our inward being. Our flesh is often frustratingly at odds with the renewed person that God is creating inside. And this butting of heads is frustrating and maddening. There's an existential dissonance that we experience that is a painful reminder that the job is not done yet. We are not fully renewed people. Our flesh 
still has to deal with that power of sin at work in it. Whether it's physical, whether it's mental, whether it's just that frustrating battle between our inward and outward being, I don't know where you are or how you experience this most pointedly, but I have a strong suspicion you're all right here with me in the groaning this morning because we all recognize that our bodies are frail and weak, that there is a mess still at work here. Great news for Sunday morning, right? It was freezing cold. It was snowing yesterday. Today we're talking about how our flesh is hopelessly corrupt. Woo! Praise Jesus. Let's go home. No, that's not the point of our passage. It is something we need to recognize and something we need to be aware of, but that's not why our passage exists this morning. It actually is meant to be an encouragement and a source of hope and confidence We just need to understand the mess to fully appreciate that because the good news of the gospel is including the redemption of our bodies. When we hear the gospel, sometimes we we imagine, okay, my sins are forgiven and I go to heaven someday, as if the gospel is good news, you get to escape all of this. God's good news is not a message of escape. God's good news is a message of renewal. He is making all things new. And that includes you and me and our fragile flesh. That's part of the good news. Let's look back at verse 23 for a second. Let's start to pick this apart. He says, Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, namely the redemption of our bodies. That's what we're groaning for. That's what we're eagerly expecting. And that's what this first fruits of the Spirit is a a wonderful reminder of. Like we said, there is work that God is doing in us today. That renewal of your heart, your mind, your relationships, your conduct, your inner person, that's happening today. That is something that we experience because of God's work in us through the gospel. And that can be a source of frustration, like we said, because our inward person doesn't always match our outward person, the person we aspire to be because of our weakness. But here's the good news. If you are experiencing that renewal, if you can look at your life and say, yeah, God is changing me. He is shaping me in new ways. Be encouraged because that's a good sign. That is the appetizer for the rest of the really big, great meal that's coming. First fruits, it's an, it's an agricultural term, and it refers to the Old Testament. They would have their harvest, and they would bring in the first portion of their harvest, of their fields, and they would lay it on the altar as a sacrifice to God. And part of that was to give him his due respect and to say, you are the source of all of this. Also, it was a reminder that if God has blessed me with this portion, surely he will bless me with the rest of the harvest as well. There's more coming, in other words. It's that idea of the appetizer. This isn't the full meal, this little bowl of chips and salsa. This is just something to tide me over until the grand plan comes into fruition, until the real meal arrives, namely the redemption of our bodies. When our physical bodies no longer suffer the weakness and the fragility that they do today, when our minds no longer work against us, causing angst and consternation and discontentment, when our outward person no longer rebels against who our inward person longs and desires to be, no more viper tongues, no more lazy limbs, no more covetous eyes, just a renewed person. God actually has a slightly different way of phrasing this. When we look to the book of Revelation, chapter 21, he talks about the fruition of his plan. 
Verse 4, it says, He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. The old way of things, how it used to operate, how it used to be under the power of sin, under its corruption, wiped away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. And then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He's making it all new, church. And we need to do a little deep dive to kind of appreciate what that means. When you and I say new, we have one word that has a lot of different facets and connotations to it. In the the Greek language that the New Testament was written in, they had two words that we translate as new that had very different connotations. It helps us specify what God's saying here. The first Greek word was neos, and that refers more to like aspect or time meaning this is just like an updated instance of something that already existed. I, uh, I, own, I drive a 2002 Dodge Durango, uh, and I was thinking about that illustration this morning. Like, my car is 20 years old. I might need to upgrade soon. Uh, but I drive an 02 Dodge Durango, uh, and if I were to go out and buy another 02 Durango or even a 2022 Durango, that would be a new car, right? But it's not something that is drastically different in character. It's really just an updated instance of something that already existed. It's a, you know, got some new parts on it. It's a little newer in time and aspect, but it's essentially the same vehicle. But it is new. That's neos. That's this word. That's not what God is saying in this passage. He's not saying, I'm going to just switch out all the worn out parts in your body and give you some, you know, like a new pancreas or, or, or a new mind or what. I'm not going to just update the old stuff so that you've got just a newer iteration of what you're used to. That's not it. The other Greek word that's used is kainos. That's the word that's used in our passage. And it's a word that really talks about the character or the quality of something. If I were to, you know, I drive that O2 Durango. If I were to go out and buy a Ferrari, That's not the same vehicle. That is more than just an updated instance of of something that already existed. That has a new character, a new quality to it. It's got a little more voom-voom in the engine, right? That's a whole new kind of thing. That's what God is promising here. I'm not just giving you an updated version of the old. I'm giving you a whole new kind of thing. A whole new kind of existence, a whole new kind of creation that possesses a quality that the previous did not. There is a unique character to this. And while we're not sure exactly what all that looks like, God doesn't spell it out for us. He does say this. It includes this idea of Christ-likeness. This idea of being like Jesus. That's clear in, in the book of 1 John chapter 3. It's a great passage. He says, dear friends, writing to the church of of Asia Minor, he says, now we are children of God today, and what we will be has not yet been made known. So lots of questions hanging in the air. But we know, one thing we do know, when Christ appears, we shall be like him. For we will see him as he is, and all who possess this hope purify themselves as he is pure. When Christ appears, when God's plan comes to fruition, when his work of redemption says, all right, now is the time, we will be like Christ. In our inner being, is being renewed day by day, in our heart, our mind, our spirit, in our relationships, we'll be like Christ. But also in our outward being, in a body that is raised like Christ, incorruptible like Christ, no longer subject to the curse and the mess of sin, just like Christ. 
That's God's promise. I'm doing a whole new thing in you. That's our hope. That's something that we look to, and that ought to be good news. If you're somebody who has experienced the fragility of our bodies today, this is really good news. Or if you're somebody who has experienced the weakness of our minds, and it has turned against you in some way, this is some really good news. Or if you, like all of us, I'm sure we all resonate with this, are somebody whose inward person does not always match the outward actions and relationships and words like you wish it would, this is some good news. And if you're somebody who has watched somebody you love and care about suffer the weaknesses and the fragility of a fallen world and a fallen flesh, this is some very, very good news. God is making all things new. That's our hope. It's kind of an embarrassing story. When I was in college, uh, I was in a Blockbuster video one time. Kids, there used to be these stores. Before days of streaming, you would go in and there were these things on the wall called DVDs. They were these magic circles that you put into a special box, plugged into your TV, and it would play a movie. And if that sounds old, just wait till I tell you about rewinding VHS tapes. Woo! It'll blow your mind. But I was in a Blockbuster video, and, and there were this, this display of posters on the ground. It was like a box that you could file through. And there were two young boys, probably fourth or fifth grade, in that Blockbuster. Uh, they were on the other side of the display for me, so I couldn't saw them from like the chest up. But I heard one of the boys say, ah, oh, that skateboard one is really cool. And so naturally in my head, I'm thinking, okay, this boy likes skateboarding. I'm a youth minister in town, so I'm thinking, you know, maybe I should try to say something, start a conversation, build a relationship with this kid. So I turned the corner, and I was kind of, sh not shocked, I was kind of surprised. Because this was a young boy who had been amputated, his leg was missing from the knee down. And I don't know why, I, probably because I think way too much about stuff, but I had all these thoughts just sort of wash over my mind in that moment. And I thought, here is a young boy who is excited about something he should be excited about, skateboarding, and just thinks it's so cool. And there's a strong likelihood he is never going to experience that. Now, there, there's possibilities. I mean, I don't want to sell people short. People do amazing things with prosthetics. But that's not everybody. It takes some determination and, and some opportunity to be able to enjoy that. And, you know, there's a strong likelihood this kid... He's never going to skateboard. And that kind of broke my heart a little bit. Just to see somebody innocent have something taken from them by no fault of their own. This is where the story gets a little embarrassing. I started to tear up in the middle of this blockbuster video in front of this kid. I don't even know. Just, you know. But I was angry. I realized that afterwards, after the experience. I was angry. And I wasn't angry because God allowed this to happen or God took this leg from this little boy. I was angry because, as Romans 8 reminds us, we have a flesh that is subject to a messed up world and a flesh that itself is subject to the power of sin. And sin corrupts and takes from everything it touches. And that's why this is such good news. It is the good news that God is making all things new, that he is restoring and renewing, that he is making a world in which the blind see, in which the deaf hear, the lame walk, the mute speak, the depressed no joy, the anxious no peace, where those with Alzheimer and dementia think clearly and remember accurately where our bodies are not prisons, 
and my little boy skateboard. And that is such good news. That is good news for you. That is good news for me. That is good news for all of humanity that is groaning in the frustrations of being subject to sin. And that's why our passage calls this part of our hope. It's not just part of good news. It's part of our hope, this restoration of our bodies. This is something we ought to cling to and look forward to. In fact, if we don't want to keep reading, look at verse 24. I get my phone to open. For, this, for in this hope we were saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. For who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. This restoration of our bodies is part of our hope. And and let's clarify that word. We in our culture today, we talk about hope as if it's wishful thinking. I hope the Cardinals have a better season next year. I don't know if it's going to happen, but it's wishful thinking. I hope, you know, kids, I hope I get this for Christmas. We don't know if it's going to happen, but it's wishful thinking. That's not the biblical concept of hope. When the Bible uses that word hope, it has a confidence in an unrealized future reality. Meaning it's not a question of will it happen or won't it happen. It's just a simple matter of it hasn't happened yet. It's going to, just not right now. It's like saying my hope is for turkey on Thanksgiving. It's not a question of will we have turkey or won't we have turkey. We're going to have turkey, folks. But it's just a matter of it hasn't happened yet. But it will. The restoration of our bodies, the renewal of all things, God making all things new, healing up the broken, binding up the wounded, giving restoration to the shattered, the renewal of people, that's going to happen. Just not right now. Right now, while we're in the middle of the thick of it, we wait patiently. And we remember our hope. When the world takes its toll on our bodies and they become broken or riddled or decrepit or they let us down inevitably, we remember our hope. We wait patiently. When our minds let us down, when they start to turn on us, we remember our hope. And we wait patiently. When we inevitably experience that frustrating struggle between who we desire to be and strive to be and how we actually live out our lives and our outward person, we remember our hope and we wait patiently. And in the middle of that waiting, we also remember the reason for our hope. We have a Savior who died and didn't stay dead, but was raised back to life incorruptible, liberated from the degradation of sin and its power. We have a Savior who overcame the grave, who is incorruptible in every way, who is promised He will return, and we don't know what we will be, but we will be like Him. Remember, John, we remember what Jesus has done and hold on to that hope as we wait patiently for the day when we revel in God's victory as his champions. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would encourage us today. Maybe we're, we're wrestling with our, our own fragility. Maybe our minds are 
troubling, working against us. Maybe there's a frustration between our inward and outward being. However we experience this, we're all in the same boat. We all groan and long for your restoration and renewal. We praise you for your grace and your mercy, for your spirit that fills us and reminds us even today, you are working and you will finish what you started. We thank you for the resurrection of Jesus as that shining example that you can accomplish what you've said. And as we wait patiently, I pray you would encourage that we would draw near to you, that we would find our strength in you and your word and your promises, and that our hope would satisfy us until the day when it's completed and satisfied. Father, glorify yourselves, yourself in us as we wait patiently in faith. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.